Hey everybody, I am here today with Jordan Zoller. He is the VP of Sales over at Iris CRM. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm great, James. Good morning. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Well, so Jordan, I thought we could start out with a little bit of a background on you. Um, you know, I'm always so interested to hear how people get into our industry and kind of the path that they end up taking. So tell us a little bit of information about kind of how you got into this industry, how you ended up at Iris CRM. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started out in the industry back in 2001 at a terminal manufacturer called the Whitman uh, USA. Sure. And at Hale Whitman, I worked with a number of different terminals and processors and certifications. Right. And it was extremely interesting. Uh, you know, I got to learn about an, an entire industry that I didn't even know existed. Right. And after Whitman, o over the years, I've worked at numerous ISOs and ISVs, uh, hit pretty much hit going through all of the, the various you know, uh, departments from tech support, customer service, risk management, and underwriting. Um, so all of the, the facets of an, an ISO from top to bottom, and ultimately leading me here to Iris CRM in 2016. Okay. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, Iris is, uh, just such an interesting software. I've always really liked Iris a lot. And, you know, I also have a chance to talk to a lot of ISOs and stuff. And so, uh, always hearing good things. So, uh, you know, maybe some of our listeners may not know what Iris is. So could you kind of give us the elevator pitch? I mean, what, what exactly is Iris? How do you explain it to customers? What does it do? Why do, why do ISOs use it? Sure. Well, the Iris system is, an all-in-one solution in terms of many ISOs, especially today, have multiple relationships with multiple processors or super ISOs, and it becomes very difficult to manage the multiple re relationships that they have. Right. Um, what Iris does is through the integrations that we have, it allows them to easily bring multiple portfolios, whether it be from a transaction reporting and a residual perspective into a single system. Right. Right. And, and you kind of, you, you also kind of have two sides to it, right? Because you've got, you know, on one side you have the ISOs have relationships with, you know, TSIS and first data and global or whatever. But then on the other side, they also might have, you know, agents who have agents who have referral partners and all of that. Right. Exactly. And so that's what Iris does. It allows them not only to manage those multiple partnerships, but to also automate their residuals downstream through those referral partners and those sales reps, as many levels down as they need to go, which as every processor sends them a different report containing different data, Right. It becomes an almost impossible task right. to not only decipher what it is that they're receiving, but then factor in the schedules that they've provided to their reps and partners in order to calculate those. Right. And and it's really interesting. I mean, Iris has kind of created a very unique position for itself, uh, mainly because of these, in my opinion, at least because of these top level integrations that you have that allow you to bring all of that together and kind of get that direct data feed and be able to automate that. Um, you know, in my opinion, if somebody's going to 
build a team of agents in any way, shape, or form. I mean, a tool like Iris is going to be, you know, just a necessity. I mean, otherwise it, it just gets too crazy to try to manage all of it, right? Exactly. And with with Iris, it all starts out with the lead management portion of our system. Um, we, we all know that before an account becomes an account, there's typically a, a, a lengthy process that you're going through uh, you know, trying to contact that merchant, follow up with, with that merchant. And Iris gives the ISOs the tools that they need in order to do that efficiently and allow for follow-up to not fall through the, the cracks. Sure. Uh, there are multiple methods of communication available from text messaging to email. There's an optional phone dialer, the ability to create templates, uh, so any possible communication method that you you can think of to reach those merchants is certainly available. So two two other things I want to touch on real quick, and then we'll get into some more interesting stuff about some broader challenges that ISOs are facing today. But two other kind of feature things I just want to mention and make sure I understand. So um, also there's some merchant-facing stuff, right? I mean, there's like a portal where you can give your merchants the ability to log in as well? That is absolutely correct. Okay. For any ISO that is uh, using Iris, their merchants have the ability, and it's all inclusive uh, within the system, to access their account from uh, with, within Iris. Now, of course, each client that does come on with Iris has a fully white-labeled portal, right. so the merchants are not going to their status portal or thesis portal. They're going to the agent's portal, and it's building that brand recognition. Right, right. Yeah, of course. Um, and then the other thing is, I believe you guys also now have an open API for your clients, meaning, um, you know, some people may already be using, you know, Salesforce or Zoho or some other CRM system or, or whatever it is. And so they can now, I guess, tie some of that together, right, with the API that you guys have? We do have an API. Um, we also have used that API to tie into Zapier, um, oh, which is awesome. a very his simple way for <laughs> the, the clients to uh, connect into those other systems. I believe Zapier has about 1,500 yep. integrations at, at this time. Yeah, and the nice, the great thing about it is it's simple enough that somebody that's a little bit tech savvy but doesn't have to be a, a computer programmer can still use it, and they can, uh, you know, they can make it work. So yeah, I'm a I'm a big Zapier fan. We actually use it here for a lot of stuff. It's you know, there's so many technology solutions today. Trying to tie them all together is always uh, always a fun challenge. So Zapier helps a lot with that. So okay, cool. So we've talked about you know what Iris is. So what I want to do now is I want to zoom out a little bit because. You know, you have this unique perspective where you've worked in a lot of different ISOs and ISVs. You now work with Iris, and so you're talking to ISOs all the time. They're reaching out to you, and they have issues they need to solve. What are some of the challenges or trends that you've been noticing lately uh, with ISOs? What are these challenges that they're facing in the industry that, that you've been kind of made aware of just through your conversations? Well, I mean, one one of the, the challenges is the rapid uh, consolidation of companies out there. Um, I'm yeah. sure you've you've noticed uh, it, just like most people <laughs> that everybody is buying up everybody else. So right. one company that they're working with today isn't necessarily the company that they're working with tomorrow, which is changing a number of items, including uh, 
having to convert merchants to an alternate platform right. or just changing the way that they operate in, in general. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't look, I mean, I don't know about your opinion, but it doesn't really look to me like there's any uh, end in sight there. I mean, I think the consolidation is going to most likely continue. I mean, do you have a different opinion on that? No, I definitely agree. I mean, it's the the way it's been going uh, with the global thesis merger being the the most right. the recent one that I've uh, read about, and I certainly don't see an, an end in sight. Uh, many of the uh, smaller ISOs that I speak to are looking to partner and merge with other ISOs so that right. they can still stay competitive in their offerings in, in a marketplace that has consolidated sure. uh, so tremendously. Well, and I think too, I mean, you know, I hadn't even thought about this before the interview, but I mean, one interesting side effect I would imagine is that ISOs probably are looking more at tools like Iris because, you know, when when you really don't know if this, you know, acquirer or super ISO that's backing you up, if you don't know if they're going to, you know, change their branding or get acquired or merge or whatever, you know, there maybe there is more of a need today to establish your own brand and make sure that your relationship with the merchant is your own uh, so that as things progress, you know, you're not beholden to, you know, the, you know, portal of this company or the other company. It's just, hey, you know, we have our portal and, you know, whoever we work with, we're bringing it into one central location and that's where our merchants go. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is that, I, I would imagine that ISOs are probably more looking at that kind of thing today than they were even a few years ago. Oh, I mean, it's it's definitely a huge, huge benefit. Um, you know, m most of the ISOs that I speak to understand that benefit and that need, and not just when it comes to to the merchants, but also when it comes to their their partners. Sure. Uh, so if they have re referral partnerships, and they're and they're operating under the name of a company that has now been acquired by somebody else, and that changes. Right. That may shake the, the confidence that that referral partner has as opposed to keeping that constant. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One other interesting change I've noticed lately, I was kind of curious if you've done any work with Payfax. I mean, I know that's a, a really hot topic today is, uh, you know, I was just talking to an ISO yesterday, a smaller ISO that's uh, recently gotten their Payfax license. Um, is that something where you're, you, you have clients that are Payfax that are working with Iris? Is that a, a, a shift that you've seen? We, we do have uh, clients that are also entering the, the Payfax space. As Payfax is a completely different creature in, in right. itself, right. Um, we, we, we at Iris don't support that as of yet. Um, we are certainly looking at how we can incorporate that in the future sure. uh, so that we can... Well, and it is it is a little bit it is a little the, bit different. That's why I was kind of curious about it because it's like the payfac model kind of is like this is a company that wants to have their own technology and their own underwriting and all of that. And so I think it will kind of be interesting to see how that plays out. The, the reason I bring it up is it's funny in my consulting practice. I've talked to three or four companies lately that are like we want to become a payfac and I'm like why do you want to do that exactly? You know, and when I when we actually dig in, I mean, there's there's been cases where it's like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. But in a lot of cases, you know, it's funny. Like the end of the call is kind of like, well, you know, you can just go 
like buy technology to do all of that. <laughs> you know, like they want to become a Payfax so they have their own merchant portal and they have their own <laughs> agent, whatever, and their own. And I'm like, well, you know, okay, but you don't really have to do that. <laughs> so I think I think it's an interesting right. debate of kind of like, do you really need to be a Payfax or are you just trying to take control of the process and the relationships that you have? And if so, I mean, you can kind of buy versus build with that kind of thing. My, well, my feeling is that many of the ISOs that are looking to become Payfax are doing so um, for obviously the, the, the branding purpose, but also um, more importantly, the ease of sign up yes. um, over the, sure. the last couple of years, especially there's been increased competition uh, in, in the space coming from companies like Square and Stripe, where right. their sign-up process is about as simple as it possibly can be. Right. And when you're, when you're competing with companies like that, getting into the payfax model where you can automate your risk and your, your underwriting with certain parameters and have the ability to auto-approve an account in a similar manner certainly brings value to that yeah. client. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting to me that that same technology really has not been embraced by the large um, acquirers and processors to, you know, it, it almost seems like a, a, a workaround where, you know, you can register your brand. So if you want your brand to, if that's, if it's about the branding, just register your brand. But, but at the same time, it's like that, that automated signup is huge and it's, it's, interesting to me and frustrating for a lot of my consulting clients of like, why hasn't Tesis come out with that? Why hasn't, you know, global, why hasn't first data, like, why is it so hard? You know, why do you have this huge application when clearly Square is doing it differently? And so it, you, it would, you would think that these larger companies would actually have better data than Square and that they would be more able to automate this process and, and identify potential risks and things like that. But it, that technology just hasn't hit the ISO channel yet. Well, I mean, I, I, I certainly, you know, agree with you. Um, now, you know, when it comes to why they haven't brought this technology on, also keep in mind, companies like Square and Stripe, you know, started their business with this model. Right. So sure. where, where, where companies like First Data and Thesis have been around for, for years and they have X number of clients and their systems are already in place. Right. It would certainly, there's always know, that, I that inertia that keeps harder. things moving forward, you know, the way they are. <laughs> exactly. For, for them to, to make that change, which I'm sure is something that they're, they're discussing um, would, would definitely be much harder than a company, you know, that just started out with that model from the first day. Sure. So kind of continuing down this path, um, you know, I was thinking back to my own experience, uh, you know, about, I guess, nine years ago or eight years ago. Yeah, about nine years ago now, I, you know, started my first team of agents, you know, and uh, when I did that, you know, the way I did it was I was working with a super ISO and literally I just had a referral team. So I, you know, I didn't want to deal with residuals or any of that stuff. So I just like got somebody and referred them over to the, uh, to the super ISO and they gave me my percentage uh, override, you know? Um, and then as I moved on, you know, eventually it's like, okay, now I have my own, you know, team and they're my sub agents, but I still had the other, uh, the super ISO splitting it up. And then eventually it's like, okay, now I'm going to start paying the people. And, you know, 
So I'm just kind of curious. This is obviously a challenge that you know you face all the time in working with the ISOs. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, there's a lot of small ISOs listening right now that are in that stage of debating. You know, right now the super ISO or the process or whatever it is, they they're handling, you know, paying the agents. They're handling, you know, the cut the you know customer support. They're handling equipment deployment. You know, they're doing all that for them, and they're thinking about, you know, they realize they could get a better residual split if they took some of that stuff on, but of course, then they have all the overhead. And so I'm just kind of curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, how should these smaller ISOs approach this problem? When do they kind of make this decision of, you know what, I think it's time to bring more of this in-house and gain more control over our, our merchant and agent experience? Well, I mean, from from what I've had discussed with, with ISOs, you know, throughout the, the past couple of years, um, is that it's not so much do they need to bring this on for that additional piece of the the revenue um you know it's right. it's not like year, years ago where isos were were you know giving out 30 and 40 percent splits i mean time you know right. just like how it's been a race to to the bottom with merchants on pricing for years right and ISOs are now realizing that it's not just about payment processing anymore. You either need to pair up a solution and provide additional value, or you're just another guy knocking on their door. ISO, certain ISOs um, that are are promised, you know, X number of deals, I've been told will you know, give large splits up front. So right. in many cases, the, the benefit for taking on that additional work isn't there. Um, I've had some clients tell me that they've taken on the customer service and technical support because that's the the type of service that they'd like to provide their clients um, that right. they maybe feel the, that. Maybe it wasn't being when, done the way they wanted <laughs> Right. It wasn't the, the maybe the support level uh, that they were expecting wasn't really there from the super ISO or the large company that they're working with. Right. And it's it's not to say that the support will, was was bad or, right. you know, that there's a, a different reason. Um, but at, at the same time, when the ISOs out there selling merchants and they're promising a certain level of support, if it's not what they're receiving, then whether there's an additional benefit in terms of splits uh, being increased or whatever the case may be, just to simply keep that client happy, they would take on that additional expense to have staff in-house. Sure. Now, when it comes to to the other facets, underwriting and risk and deployment, that is, is something that each ISO needs to evaluate what is the deal that you currently have? How is my split or revenue going to increase if I were to take this on? Because by doing that, you're obviously increasing your overhead by having to bring on right. additional staff, you know, support those, those facets. Right. Uh, t- typically when it comes to, to risk, uh, I would imagine that many of the ISOs have no uh, liability agreements and right, exactly. by taking on risk, they would now be taking that next step with a massive undertaking of uh, liability right. that typically the risk reward just isn't there. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And I think the other thing, too, kind of to your point is, I think you also have to look at what your core competency is. You know, is if you have a sales organization and you are really, really good at managing, training, recruiting salespeople, and that's what you do best. The other question, too, is, uh, you know, opportunity cost. You know, um, maybe if that's what you do best, you know, get tools like Iris and others that are going to help you manage that team better, automate payments and things like that. But all of a sudden, if you start taking on risk and equipment deployment and other things, you know, everything you take on, that's extra time every day that you're not recruiting, managing and training your sales team. And instead, you're managing people that are doing other things that are not your core competency. So I think also it's like that opportunity cost really can come back to bite you if you're not careful about, you know, your, your method of growth, because it's like, you do, you know, are you going to make more money by taking on, you know, uh, risk, or are you going to make more money by at, you know, increasing your sales production by 30% when you know, that's what you're best at. Right, exactly. And I mean, I've, I've even had a number of people over the last couple of years, ask me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about registering, you know, is it worth it? Right. (laughs) And, you know, of, tough question. of course, yeah. you know, each each person's opinion is their their, their own. Um, but the census that that I hear is it seems like for for all of this money up front and then the renewals each year to the card brands. Right. It's solely to be able to put my name on a merchant statement. Right. And right. I mean, based based on my experience, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, unless that is something that is detrimental to what you were trying to do. Right. Then you need to determine whether outlaying that money in order to do it is worth it. Sure. And and it's like, and you know, even the opportunity cost, like we just talked about, it's also a very involved process. And so to me, again, it kind of goes back to core competency of what is your company about? You know, if you're a brand company, meaning, you know, you have a custom technology solution and you're trying to present that brand everywhere you possibly can so that it'll spread, well, then, yeah, maybe it does make sense to, to you know, make sure you have your brand on the statement and your own kind of experience. Maybe even a payfac would make sense in that model. But again, if your core competency is you know how to get people to sell stuff, well, then the branding is not going to be nearly as important in that situation. You know, exactly. And just just like you mentioned, that to to me is why payback is getting the exposure that it it currently is, because you're getting all of the the benefits that that an ISO today is looking for. And in many cases, with without having to make that that large investment. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Um, I think we could go on talking about this for a couple of hours, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we better not. Probably. So, uh, so tell me this. So, um, again, maybe there's some ISOs listening who you know have been living in a cave and they have not heard of Iris CRM. Uh, so, where would you send them to learn more about the software, and what would be a next action step for them if they want to learn more about uh, using your solutions? Well, what I would definitely recommend is visiting iriscrm.com. There is a tour that you can take on the site as well as request a live demo. And the, the recommend, uh, recommendation that I would make is if, if you're if fumbling to track your leads, manage your accounts, and still using spreadsheets to calculate your, re, your residual payments, 
you should definitely call us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's time to, again, and it's funny. I mean, again, we keep going back to the same theme, but again, it's the opportunity cost. It's, you know, it's your core competency. You know, are you a, uh, you know, are you an administrator? I mean, the truth is most sales managers slash recruiters that are building ISOs today, they came up as successful salespeople. Uh, and as a successful salesperson, I can vouch for the fact that we are generally not so good with the details. <laughs> so uh, usually a good thing to have, uh, you know, software or uh, someone else, uh, you know, handling that stuff. So, uh, well, Jordan, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to jump on our podcast. Of course, James. Thank you. Uh, likewise. And I hope you have a wonderful day. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Bye. Thank you. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Okay, so this week I wanted to talk about Facebook. You know, Facebook has been in the news a lot these last few months. Um... But perhaps one of the more interesting things is it's a cryptocurrency gambit, uh, which goes by the name of Libra. Now, um, Facebook is working in concert with leading payment brands, including MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, and Square to do this. Um, Libra is to be based on a flexible, secure, and scalable blockchain known as the Libra blockchain that will be backed by a reserve of assets known as the Libra Reserve. Now, the Libra Reserve will be a basket of currencies, government securities, and bonds funded by, uh, and it's being funded by investors and Libra users. Now, Facebook is uh, somewhat optimistic, I think. They, they expect that this uh, new blockchain to be up and running by sometime next year. Um, in order to, to achieve this, this, uh, this time frame, they have set up an independent body called the Libra Association. Um, they're building Libra blockchain. And this association is going to be based in Switzerland, and Facebook expects 100 members. Currently, there are about 28. In addition to the payment companies uh, that I mentioned a moment ago, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, and Square, members include, uh, some of these initial members include eBay, the multinational communications giant Vodafone, the uh, blockchain platform uh, Coinbase, Lyft and Uber, Spotify, and several venture capital firms, uh, in addition, of course, to Facebook. And according to Facebook, all members will have an equal say in the development of this blockchain and, and, the, um, and the reserve. Now, Facebook, at the same time, is also launching a new um, unit that it calls Calibra. Uh, it's led by former PayPal exec uh, David Marcus, and it will create uh, financial software and services using Libra blockchain. Now, Facebook is positioning Libra as a move towards what it calls, what uh, some folks refer to as the democratization of financial services. In its announcement, it points to the fact that there are about 1.7 billion unbanked consumers worldwide. These are people that have no bank accounts, but better than half of them um, have access to mobile devices. And uh, having a cryptocurrency that's backed by hard assets removes much of the volatility associated with cryptocurrencies, and, and that's another part of the democratization move. 
Now, Facebook certainly has reach. I mean, Facebook, along with its Instagram and WhatsApp units, uh, reportedly have 2.4 billion monthly users. And according to Facebook, uh, 2.1 billion use either Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp at least once a day. Now, the thing is, 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 is as much as this sounds like a, a really cool endeavor, um, Facebook has been getting a lot of blowback, both from consumers and from governments. Um, not surprisingly, concerns have been raised over Facebook's pri- privacy track record. You may recall that um, there were revelations last year that the data analytics firm Cambridge Analytica um, had harvested personal information on at least 50 million Facebook users to support political campaigning in 2016. Uh, This has not been um, uh, lost on lawmakers. Uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who chairs the House Financial Services Committee, was one of the most vocal opponents. Uh, She said, quote, the cryptocurrency market currently lacks a clear regulatory framework to provide strong protections for investors, consumers, and the economy. Regulators should see this as a wake-up call to get serious about the privacy and national security concerns, cybersecurity risks, and trading risks that are posed by cryptocurrency. Uh, And it isn't just the House uh, Financial Services Committee. The Senate Banking Committee uh, has slammed slammed the plan during a, a July hearing. Um, where Marcus, uh, PayPal's, the former uh, PayPal exec Marcus, who was leading Calibri, Calibra, um, testified. Senator Sherrod Brown, a Democrat, said it was, quote, delusional, uh, close quote, for consumers to trust Facebook with their, quote, hard-earned money. Senator Martha McSally, a Republican, explained, expressed similar distrust. She said, quote, instead of cleaning up your house, you are launching into another business model. And uh, Federal Reserve Board Chairman Jerome Powell told the Senate Banking Committee that the whole plan, quote, raises a lot of serious concerns. The bottom line to all this is that, you know, Libra seems like a really cool idea. It might take a lot of the volatility out of cryptocurrency. It may democratize cryptocurrency eventually. But I don't see that happening in 2020, and I don't think most people will. In fact, uh, the Fed's Chairman Powell um, said as much in his remarks at the Senate Banking Committee. So, uh, you know, it's it's worth looking at. Um, I don't think it's going to change the world overnight, but uh, I think it is an indication that blockchain is not a um, flash in the pan. It, it block, Blockchain-based payments probably are going to hit the marketplace at some point. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, this week I want to talk about the biggest competitor 
that you actually face in this industry, uh -huh. which is the status quo competitor. Right. Right. And so, you know, in this industry, it's not so much that there are these like, you know, well, I'm fighting against First Data or TSIS or Global or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's there to a point. But what mm -hmm. you find when you talk to merchants is they're not really that loyal to a particular brand. No. They're just really loyal to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a loyalty as much as a risk aversion. Like, this is working. Right. I have why, this... why mess with something that's working? Right. Sure. I'm, you know, customers are paying me through this terminal or whatever it is, and it's going into my bank account. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. Right? right. Right. So, you know, when you face a status quo objection, I want to give you two ways to fight this big competitor of status quo. The first one is one that's very counterintuitive. I've used it very successfully, probably a hundred times to get a merchant account. Um, and it's one that I really don't know any other reps that use it. Um, and that is minimizing the credit card processing uh, in order to get the sale, which is really counterintuitive. So here's what I'll say. Somebody will say, well, um, you know, maybe it's, uh, I'll give you an example. Maybe it's a merchant that, you know, I, it's a smaller merchant. I don't think they would necessarily benefit that much from a huge point of sale investment at this time anyway, mm -hmm. or they've already got a POS system and I want to integrate my payment processing with their system. Right. Right. So here's what I'll say. They're like, you know what, James, we're happy with what we've got. And I'm like, well, I, I can certainly understand that. Here, here's my thing. Let me just throw this out and you tell me what you think. I just want to have a relationship with you because, you know, down the road, three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, at some point, you may want to invest in new technology for your business. Mm -hmm. Something's going to come out that you're going to be interested in that will be a huge benefit. Maybe it doesn't exist today, mm -hmm. but something's going to come out from a marketing perspective or whatever, and you're going to want to tie this into your point of sale system. Would you agree that, I mean, there's some possibility that might happen in the next five years? And they're like, yes. Okay, cool. So here's my thought. And let me just throw this out there. So you got your system, you have your VX520 or you have your micros or whatever it is. And you're, you're happy with that system. And I, I respect that. So here's the thing. Why don't we just start with the credit card processing? Because I mean, well, let's face it, that's like a utility, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like changing your electric provider. I mean, who cares? Like it's just, you know, putting power to the light. So what's going to happen is I'm going to keep you with your same equipment that you have now. I'm not going to change anything. Right. I'm going to save you a little bit of money, not a ton. But I'll, you know, some, I'm, I'm not emphasizing, right? I'm going to save you a little bit of money, not a ton, um, but I'm just going to switch the credit card processing. Nothing's really going to change for you. I'm just going to change this utility so that I can start a relationship with you. You could be my client. Uh -huh. Then I'm going to keep you educated about what's happening in the industry and about new systems that are coming out and new things that are happening. And I think what you'll find is over the years, I can be a really valuable resource for you. So if I can come in here, not change anything and just switch the credit card processing on the back end, I'm sure you'd at least like to look at a quote, right? Mm -hmm. So we're minimizing uh, the credit card processing down to like a utility right? in order to say, I just want to have a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. um, also, one of the other things I love about that pitch is you can also pivot to because I'm going to save you money, the money that you save, maybe after a year I come back and we look at it and say, wow, I saved you $1,000. Now maybe it does make sense to get that Clover register because right. you know I'm saving you enough money to offset and cover the cost of this technology that would help you to grow your business. Mm -hmm. So you can mm -hmm. reinvest your savings into, you know, other things. Sure. Um, so that's one extreme is like minimize the processing. The other extreme is to focus on the technology side and really talk about what the technology could do with a demo. So in our industry, for some reason, <laughs> it's so funny. Like we, we've talked a lot in recent episodes about the whole ISO versus ISV thing, right? So I consult right now. I'm right now. I am actively consulting for three ISVs, three companies that are technology companies mm -hmm. that have integrated payments. Okay, and I'm consulting for like dozens of ISOs, sure. right? Right. Well, what's so funny about it is the if I told the ISVs, hey, 
you should go try to sell your software without doing a demo first. They'd all be like, you're crazy. What are you, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Right. If I go to the ISO and I say, you're trying to sell Clover? Who demos that? Where does that fall in the sales process? Mm-hmm. What do you mean a demo? We don't demo. Right. <laughs> it's like you're trying to sell a gateway, right? Well, when do you demo that? What do you mean? You know, so it just to help the ISOs understand, because this is like the most accepted thing on the SaaS side of the world. Right. Is you have to demo technology. Of course. People don't buy stuff until you demo it. So like if you're trying to Especially sell. Especially technology. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're selling credit card processing, again, it's you're, you're just selling like just a lower utility. price. Right. It's right. It, what, what are you going to demo? I mean, it's the same thing you have now. It's just cheaper. But if you're if you're doing technology. You don't go in like when they're like, well, we're happy with what we have. You don't say, well, yeah, but you don't know what this thing can do. Let me tell you what it can do mm-hmm. and try to sell them. Instead, Just by telling them, right? Yeah. Instead, yeah. you say, well, I, that's a perfectly valid opinion. I understand where you're coming from. And really, to be honest, this may not be the right solution for you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But here's what I do know. I do know that if we went through a demo for 15, 20 minutes, I could identify some opportunities to improve your business efficiency. Mm-hmm. maybe through Clover, maybe through your current system, maybe through a different system. I don't know, but I would love to just demo this so you could kind of see what's out there. And I'm sure it would spark some ideas in your mind of things you could do to grow your business. And I can tell just from talking to you for a few minutes, you're the kind of savvy business person that is looking for opportunities to grow, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Well, sure I am. Okay, great. So would Tuesday at 3 p.m. work better or Thursday at 9 a.m. for me to demo this for 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Close the demo. You got to right. demo it. Right. Then when you go in for the demo, you demo it. As you're demoing it, you're you're finding you're finding the problems. Mm-hmm. You're identifying those. You're giving the solutions. We talked about value selling a while back. Right. And now once you have the value, now you're closing on the value, mm-hmm. right? And the solution to the problem. So, two very different approaches to the status quo objection. Right. One is, you know, I don't really think I'm going to sell them technology right now anyway. So uh, why not just sell them processing? Let's just get the processing and get it by really minimizing it. Sure. Don't make it a big decision. Because you no still brainer. have your, you're still getting your foot in the door. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Make it a no-brainer decision, though. Mm-hmm. Really simple. Or go the other direction, which is, I'm not trying to sell you anything today. I just want to do a demo. And that'll be really effective if you're trying to sell technology. I think that's a great idea. Good stuff. It's Benny. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.